0: Mobile.io. It's Gone Mobile.
1: Welcome back to Gone Mobile. This episode's being recorded on October 28th, 2014. So so far on this show, and our past episodes, we've focused primarily on the more on the app side of things and haven't really talked much about the mobile web at all, which is still a, a big and really important topic. So to help us fill that gap, we're joined by Tammy Everts, uh, a performance evangelist over at Radware. Welcome, Tammy.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, so just to kind of kick things off, uh, I, I want to pull a quote out of the, a recent State of the Union report that, that you guys published over there, and, and it, which stated, uh, and I quote, 38% of smartphone users have screamed at, cursed at, or thrown their phones when pages <laughs> take too long to load. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hilarious, but sadly believable quote. <laughs> so, And I mean, I want to get into the specifics of everything, but just to, to kick things off in a nutshell, like what, what is the, the state of the union these days as far as performance goes?
2: Okay, so just a little backstory about about those stats. Um, I found that a, a year or two ago when I sort of idly wondered, like, I wonder how many people have gotten really mad at their phones, and then I thought, I bet there's a study out there somewhere that's like, and within five minutes I had it at my fingertips. Oh yeah, great study done by Harris Interactive. So you know, not a not a, a small potatoes. Uh, research firm, and uh, and there it was. So yeah, I've been I've been kicking off a lot of talks with those numbers as well because they're pretty compelling. <laughs> it's just a great um, quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the current state of the union um, for mobile. Well, we we just released our annual report at Radware, and just a little bit of backstory about about that report. Um, we uh, every year we look at the 100 leading e-commerce sites as ranked by Alexa. And we uh, measure their load times in real time uh, over a variety of smartphones and tablets. Um, On the smartphones, we look at it over a a 4G LTE connection. And on the tablets, we look at uh, performance over a Wi-Fi connection. And um, we find consistently that uh, pages, these e-commerce pages, are not meeting end-user expectations for load times of four seconds or less.
1: So, I mean, so what are users expecting then, as far as load times go? And is is do you find that it's wildly different between um, the expectation between mobile websites and desktop websites?
2: Uh, actually, quite the opposite. So there have been a few studies around this. So it kind of really depends on who you ask. Um, the uh, studies by different organizations that have found that like the majority of users expect um, their pages to load in four seconds or less on mobile, and some studies, uh, two seconds or less on mobile. And that uh, 40% of users say they'll abandon a page that takes longer than three seconds to significantly load content. So that's a really, um, that those numbers right there are kind of alarming and scary because if you use the mobile web, you know that most pages just, you intuitively know that most pages aren't delivering on that, those kinds of expectations. Um, and uh, the other kind of scary thing is that a lot of users, if you ask them, uh, well, you know, what are your expectations for mobile versus desktop? They'll actually say that they expect pages to load even faster on mobile than on desktop. So this expectation isn't based on like re- you know a, a, a rational kind of. Uh, thinking that, well, you know, mobile is necessarily slow because there are, you know, obviously constraints in networks and constraints in the devices. Um, It's just, I just want it to be faster. I'm I'm out and about with my phone and I just want the pages to be fast because I don't want to sit there for 10 seconds and wait for pages to start to render. So uh,
0: why are pages loading slower? What's the culprit? Is it, you know, the JavaScript? Is it just too big of a pages?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's really it in a nutshell. So, for for the our annual report, our our, our mobile state of the union, we we look at m um, dot pages and we also measure the full site. And uh, because you know about eighty percent, eighty five percent of of e commerce sites now do have m dot pages. Uh, or mobile versions of their site, and we found that you know the median load time, um, like for an iPhone 4S, was around seven seconds. For an iPhone 5S, was close to five seconds. So already we see it's not meeting those those two to four second load time expectations. And um, for, when we looked at the full site, we were looking at uh, load times that were kind of more in the 11 to 15 second range. And so, yeah, so, (laughs) um, and, you know, and, and when we did our tests, you know, we tested each page 10 times you know clearing the cache between each test uh, we, we grabbed the median numbers so you know this wasn't just sort of like you know sort of just doing a quick set of tests um, we, you know we really really kind of dove in there and, and gave each site a fair chance to to, to to give us you know its best possible numbers and so these are the numbers we got. Um, so when we looked at the, the dot pages we found that the median number of page resources was 34. So, you know, as you know, that's, you know, your uh, images and CSS and JavaScript, et cetera. And for the full site uh, versions of the sites uh, is more like 106 page resources. So you can see there's a, you know, a, a, a lot of disparity in, in page size there. Um, in terms of total file size for the page, I mean, I did sort of a bit more of an ad hoc, uh, post that I did on my blog uh, several months ago where I looked at um, 60 of the most reviewed, most liked, most popular um, uh, pages that were responsively designed. So I'm sort of backing into the topic here of responsive web design. And I just want to actually issue a huge caveat up front. I I think responsive web design is great, and I actually think it's the way forward. Unfortunately, a lot of pages that implement uh, responsive design don't necessarily do it with performance in mind. So what I saw when I looked at those 60 pages that had appeared on all these, you know, top 10 lists, top 20 lists for the most beautiful responsive pages – um, and we, I saw that the, 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 the most common thing that differentiated the pages that delivered an okay user experience, and I, in that post I defined okay as being like kind of seven seconds or less, kind of uh, on, the, on the bell curve of looking at all those pages, um, were all under one megabyte in size. The pages that delivered really substandard uh, user experience were all well over one megabyte in size. And so when we look at the typical uh, full site page for the top 100 sites, we're looking at pages that are like one and a half megs, almost two megs in size. So, you know, page size so it really crudely is, a, is a, a good indicator of how your site is going to perform on mobile if it's, if it's a responsive site or really even if it's not.
1: Right. And I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of subtopics in there that I really want to dig into, especially responsive. But um, putting that on hold for just a minute, I did want to, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things there that to me as a web developer, I've been doing web stuff for, for many years at this point, And I don't even know how long ago it was that, that things like YSlow came out with all of the classic performance things that you're supposed to do on your website, things like um, using a CDN or bundling or minification. I mean, it seems like a lot of these problems, uh, at least from what I've seen, are still the most common problems today. Uh, Is that what you're seeing as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, really, it's the same same problems, sort of amplified by the fact that, you know, over time, like since all those rules were developed, pages have become bigger and even more complex. So if we look at, you know, a few years ago when a typical page was, you know, had maybe five or six uh, different hosts. Like host servers now, you know we see pages of 30, 35 different servers. Like that, in, in and you know, in and of itself, is going to introduce a lot of latency and and just a lot of opportunities for for pages to 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 not perform as well as they should.
1: And I mean, but to the point of, I mean, it seems like the the advice here has been around for for many many years at this point. I mean,
2: mm-hmm. do
1: you find it surprising that it seems like we still have the you know, you have to give the same kind of performance advice that you might have done five years ago or however long it was that things like Why Slow first came out?
2: Um, I, uh, you know, a few years ago, I would have said, yes, I find it surprising. Now, not so much just because, um, when we look at sort of at Radware, we do another set of, of, of research reports, and these are issued on a quarterly basis, where we look at the performance and adoption of performance best practices of the same top 100 e uh, uh, commerce sites, but on the desktop. And because we're using web page tests for that, we can take a bit of a deeper dive into you know what, what best practices people are, are following. And I found that really adoption of, of performance best practices has completely plateaued and I just I feel like it's uphill battle isn't really maybe not the most accurate phrase I just feel like it's a it's a constant battle like constantly making these issues top of mind and educating people um, about the fact that they need to have a performance first uh, philosophy when they're they're building pages because um, you know these rules I, I feel like it's sort of it's, it's like some kind of like holy text that keeps, it's out in the desert and it keeps getting buried by sand, you know, uh, and we need, we need to kind of keep unearthing it like like archaeologists and bringing it out and showing it to people. I mean, that it explains the popularity of conferences like the Velocity Conference where, you know, every conference, what, what I've been told is that at every Velocity Conference, about 50% of the people who are there are there for the first time. So these issues are brand new for them. And it just is a lot to the fact that you know, uh, development is a burgeoning field. It's huge. You know, we're bringing on board more developers all the time. And so, you know, just the need to educate is is, just constant. So I don't think we can rest on the assumption that, well, the rules are out there, they're known and, and, you know, everybody should just, you know, automatically be adopting them. And we should assume that they're doing that.
1: Fair enough. And then, so for let's say I'm a developer who, who is familiar with a lot of the the common desktop web performance techniques that that might be out there. Some of which we mentioned before. I mean, do do most of those techniques apply to mobile as well, or is there kind of a subset there to look out for?
2: Um, it's a really good question. Um, I I just to be to be quite. Frank, with you and your audience, I'm not a developer. My background is user experience, so I'm at the extreme front end. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, obviously working, you know, in this field for as long as I have, I, you know, I, I speak some developer language, but I don't want to uh, pretend that I'm, a, I'm an expert on, on the nuts and bolts of uh, developing for mobile. Um, yeah, a lot of the best practices are the same. Like some of them, you know, uh, we should um there's a disconnect between how the the best practice works on desktop versus how it works for mobile so a really good example of that is using a CDN um, on desktop the benefits of using a CDN are pretty well known I definitely advocate that you know everyone should have a CDN if you have a, at all a distributed um, audience for your site CDN is um, kind of to me a, a, an obvious part of your your, your toolbox for performance um, but we did a uh, uh, Human Beheshti, who now works at Vastly, um, we used to work together at Strange Loop Networks before Strange Loop was acquired by Radware, and um, he did some really interesting research into, you know, how effective are CDNs for mobile? And what we found there is that, yeah, there's some benefit of CDNs for mobile for sure, but just definitely not to the same degree. And there were, you know, there there were many issues around that. Um, I wish I could remember all of them right now, <laughs> off off my head. But you know, the takeaway was just that you know you can't you can't assume that a technique that works for desktop is necessarily going to work for mobile. And another you know example is you know we make a, um, if you've been you know developing exclusively for desktop, you sort of it's easy to just sort of take the browser cache for granted. Um, and on mobile, you know, you can't do that. So, um, like, you know, you have to develop workarounds for that, um, like, such as you know, leveraging local storage and, and, and things like that. That's about as 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 deep into talking about <laughs> <laughs> talking about development as, as as my knowledge lets me go. Um, so
0: we talked about uh, like Greg talked about Why Slow for desktop developers. Are there any tools or anything like that that you use specifically for mobile to analyze site speeds and, and problems with sites for mobile?
2: Um, that's a really good question. Um, I, when I look at mobile, because I, again, because I'm coming at it from a, a user experience, you know, uh, angle and the way the, and the types of pieces that I tend to write, I tend to focus on just individual sites. And so I, you know, I, I, I just use tools like Web Page tests and I kind of just, you know, analyze individual pages, things like that. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, um, looking to, um, maybe not looking at the data in the same way that a developer would.
1: So one big difference between, uh, between desktop and mobile, mobile connections really is, is network speed. And, you know, if you take processing and memory out of the equation, network speed is definitely something that's going to be wildly different between, you know, a desktop connection with say, you know, some fiber connection or something and your, your 3g device, like what are some ways, uh, to, to account for that in the types of pages you're building?
2: Um, well, I, I, I like to quote um, Ilya Grigorik who um, at Velocity, I can't remember which conference, um, said, and this quote has been picked up a lot, that if you're designing for 3G, which you should be because 3G is going to be around until the 2020s, um, then you need to automatically assume 2,000 milliseconds of latency. So to me, that was like that was that's something I feel like everybody should know. You know, the the fact that you know that that's something that is being tagged onto your, your your performance right off the top, and so it's like you know you're automatically starting with kind of two seconds of 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 your that you're in the hole that you've got to kind of dig yourself out of. Some of the the, the techniques that we talk about that are, you know that are similar to you know what you do for desktop versus um, versus what you, you you do for mobile are you know obvious things like consolidating resources you know making sure that we're sending and, and and compressing resources to make sure you're sending the smallest possible package over the wire and and you know eliminating latency on round trips and things like that um, and i've already mentioned you know using local storage to make sure that you're making sure that um that uh, views to uh subsequent pages throughout the flow of a, of a visit to the website are faster um you know, also just things like you know, it's 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 a really simple one, and it's sort of why I'm I'm you know I've come out in the past as being down on mdot sites is just the issue of, of of redirects. I mean, we take them for granted on desktop. A redirect is like what you know, 50 milliseconds or less. But on mobile, you know, it, it, it's it can be longer than that, and it's actually you know, uh, it, it it adds up. If we already think about the fact that you've got those two mega, uh, two two seconds that you're in the hole performance wise. Um, and then you, you know, then the, right off the top, you have a redirect, you know, where you're, you're, you're sending people to your mobile, to the mobile site, because most people are not coming to your site for mobile. They're, they're not coming to your dot site automatically. They're going to your, your, they're searching for your desktop site. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's something that you can, you can take care of right off the top. Um, so just like, you know, providing a link on the, on the mobile site that signals that signals the application to suppress, you know, the, the redirect behavior, um, it's sort of one of those techniques. It's a bit easy in theory, but it can be difficult to put into practice. Um,
1: so, I mean, that's uh, you mentioned uh, the the M dot sites or M dot sites there, which are are really really common um, even today. And so, have you fa- like what have you found around like even the user psychology of that? Of I mean, in theory, if, if you think about it, you have that initial hit of transferring from one site to the other, but then. Um, but then in theory, you should be done and now you're on the, the mobile optimized site. I mean, have you found that to to be not a very effective approach as far as user engagement and that kind of thing goes?
2: Um, it really depends. I mean, I, I, I realize that talking about MDOT sites, it's, it's really difficult to put kind of put them underneath one umbrella because they can vary so much. Like I've seen dot sites that really did have a consistent look and feel with kind of the, the parent site of the, the desktop site. But more often than not, they don't. There's still a kind of a simplified, stripped down version of the page. And um, the from a user experience perspective, you know, the, the more of a cognitive disconnect there is between the two pages, the more friction we're putting into that user experience. Um, you know, and the, in, in the friction can be as extreme as just had not re- reproducing all the pages on on mobile that you would have on desktop. So you're having that problem with cross-platform sharing, where you know somebody goes from you know uh, thinks that they're going to uh, a page. Uh, sorry, they think that they're going from the desktop to the mobile, and then basically realize like, oh, well, actually now they're getting a, a 404 error because the page right. doesn't exist. Um, so that's one issue. Um, something that maybe a lot of people don't realize is just the impact of of practices like showrooming on how users engage with your site. So um, one stat, I was at the shop.org summit um, in October and earlier this month. And um, one stat that I found really interesting was that the average online shopper um, visits your site 6.2 times across 2.6 devices uh, before they before they make their purchase, so it's so whether you want people to shop on desktop or mobile or or whatever you might prefer, the fact is they're probably using both both devices or possibly even like you know a tablet a phone and and, and their desktop before they complete a transaction, and um, if their experience on each site is different enough that it you know kind of like throws this kind of cognitive grit. Into into the cogs of their their processing machine, you know that's 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 negative, and it ha- you know even though they might complete the transaction that time, um, you know we do know that. If the, if the experience is poor enough, you know, 65% of people will, will say that it will have a negative impact on their brand and about, you know, 30 to 35% of those people will, you know, uh, won't return to your site. So those are numbers that people need to keep in mind when they're thinking about like, you know, creating that consistent experience across, across, um, across, uh, all of their, their, their platforms. Um, and that, you know, that kind of parlay's over to to performance as well. You know, it's great if you're serving pages in three seconds or less. You know, you're serving above the full content in three seconds or less on your desktop. But if it's twelve to fifteen seconds on, you know, mobile or or, or on a tablet, then you know that kind of disconnect is 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 you know really alarming for users.
0: So, how does responsive design fit into all this? I mean, it, a user going to the same website that's adapting to their device that they're on. I would imagine helps with that experience across platforms. Um, but as far as performance goes, are you finding that it's to be a, a positive thing for performance?
2: Um, it can be a positive thing for, for, for performance, um, but right now, I mean, again, is based on my, my anecdotal sort of study of 60 sites, but again, these were 60 sites that had been very well reviewed in terms of how well they implemented responsive design, um, notwithstanding performance, um, found that you know 20% of them served an okay, you know, okay user experience in terms of speed, but overwhelmingly the remaining ones did not. So 80% of, of these sites that looked great, like I looked at them on my on my on my desktop, I looked at them on my phone, I looked at them on my on my iPad, they looked fantastic, but performance-wise, you know, I saw pages that were five or six megabytes in size. And when I posted that that um, post on Twitter and people were reading it, I had people, you know, messaging me and saying, oh, I've seen responsive pages that were 10 megabytes in size. And, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, that that size, just that crude measurement alone correlates so strongly with slowness that, you know, that you, you see that you it, 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 it's something that, that uh, developers really need to be aware of.
1: That's always the kind of the like I've always liked responsive design personally, uh, at a more theoretical level than a practical level. Just because I mean I I am I try to be performance focused in a lot of the, the web work that I'm doing, and then the the idea mentally of, of pulling down all this extra content that I might not need just in case things resize. Like there are certain things you can do with CSS to to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I also find it to be pretty limiting as far as like what you can pull off, um, and especially if you're, if you want to deliver a, a fundamentally different experience, like it might not just be, like in. So, in in my mind, there there are a couple categories here. There's there's sites like say the New York Times that are going to be very consumption based, where you're, you know, you're reading blog posts, you're reading news articles, and that's a little more fitting to something like responsive, where it is just. Um, kind of shifting the same content around and exposing it. but um, where where it gets a little more murky for me is in things like um, like e-commerce sites, which you've been talking about a lot, where you might want to deliver actually a fundamentally different flow through your site instead of just a slightly different view on it. And to me, that that's where it starts to get a little tricky.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I, yeah, different types of sites, different verticals. Um, do approach responsive differently and I actually, while while we're on the subject of media sites, I do want to kind of give a shout out to sites like TechCrunch, because one thing that I, I, I um, hear a lot is like, oh, you know, media sites are just famously so slow, and you know, they 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 suck in terms of performance. Um, and you know, and responsive design is, you know, there's you know, there's a faction of people who think responsive is automatically slow as well, and I don't dis- and I don't agree with that faction. Um, but then I look at one of the sites that I looked at in that post where I, I, I uh, studied 60 different responsive sites was the TechCrunch site, and I looked at a few other media sites as well, and I won't name those, but TechCrunch was. Is a great example of a site that is a media site that's also responsibly designed and actually serves pretty decent load times, you know, so, um, you know, it can be done and it can be done on a, on a media site. To kind of get back to your question about, you know, e-commerce versus versus media sites, I mean, um, when I was at the shop.org summit, I did hear a lot of um, site owners talking about Really wanting to create unique experiences for mobile versus what they do for desktop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Um, There's, you know, arguably great use cases for doing that, for why you would want to do that, so long as you're not detracting from that, you know, uh, that, that multi-screening, uh, shopping experience, that multi-platform shopping experience that I talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the interesting thing about, um, about, uh, how people were talking about creating these u- unique mobile experiences, um, and using responsive design was that again, very little of the conversation centered around performance. So I thought that was really interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's one thing to kind of argue that you need to make your pages look different and feel different on a different platform, um, and you know, some people might argue, like, no, you need like, you know, some usability experts argue, no, you need to have like kind of rock solid consistency across all platforms. But if you're doing something different and you're still not looking at performance, you know, that's that's obviously an issue.
1: And I mean, I guess to to play devil's advocate for for a second, and not necessarily a position that that I agree with, but. And so, if you say we've we've talked a bit about um, you know how there there's a lot of conventional wisdom around how to how to make pages performant and and how important there's a lot of numbers out there um, I'm sure you know more than I even know about of <laughs> you know like how the, the the correlation between performance and user happiness and you know cart abandonment and and things like that. Um, But the point still stands that there are a lot of super successful sites out there that that aren't very performant and that have really bloated web pages. So, I mean, like, is it, um, are we still in a position where we can say that these things, you know, 100% matter?
2: I think so. I mean, uh, we could, yeah, I can point to some sites that are successful despite not being very performant. But if I actually look at, the top sites out there, if you look at the, the eBay's, Amazon, uh, Walmart, these are all sites that consistently rank pretty high in performance. So to say that, you know, Oh, well, you know, we're, you know, yeah, our pages are slow, but we're still fine. And we're still, you know, a a, a, like an internet retail 100 company or we're on the internet retail 500 list. So we're obviously doing okay. Um, you know, you really kind of have to, to benchmark, uh, yourself, you have to benchmark yourself against these companies and realize that you know, yeah, you might be doing okay, but consistently, like with uh, you know, all the case studies that I see where companies have invested uh, resources on on performance, they consistently see performance improvement. Like, you know, Walmart, you know, uh, for example, uh, put a lot of effort into into looking at their pages, and they found that for every second of improvement they had, you know, kind of 1% to 2% increase in conversions. That's that's a big deal. Um, when I was at Velocity New York, um, there was a, a, a great presentation from staples.com where they found that they improved median performance by, um, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe it was by one second, and they improved conversions by um, 10%. And that's the most extreme, hmm. you know, like case study I've heard of Um but it's it's really interesting. So you can say, yeah, status quo is fine. Like, look at us; we're profitable and and, and we do okay. But if you look at you know these case studies that say that um, that that fixing performance consistently yields uh, increased revenues, increased conversions, uh, more page views, more time on site, etc., then you know to me the case is really clear for 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 investing in performance internally.
0: So you're talking about. Uh, conversions as a metric that's being used. Uh, we've also seen cart abandonment commonly used as a metric. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any numbers about that when we're talking about page speed uh, versus that?
2: Yeah. Um, well, we look at, let's, I mean, we can look at bounce rate as just a way of kind of entering into this uh, this topic. You know, we know that um, we did a, a study uh, two or three years ago. Um, here at Radware where we um, looked, it was kind of early days of looking at mobile performance like we, you know, with our e-commerce customers, we finally had a significant number of their shoppers were using mobile that we could actually um, get decent data sets so that we could look at at, at how their pages performed. And we had one customer um, that had, you know, just millions of transactions per month and uh, a significant number of those were mobile, and they were curious to see how uh, uh, changes in mobile performance affected uh, a variety of different metrics, such as bounce rate and, and revenue, etc. And so they agreed to a 12-week experiment where we um, introduced network delays of 100 milliseconds, 500 milliseconds, and 1,000 milliseconds to a small cohort of their of their mobile traffic, and we found that um, at 100 milliseconds the uh, the impact was pretty negligible. Um, at 500 milliseconds, we started to see an impact and we saw you know hit to uh, conversions, revenue, cart size, bounce rate. And at a thousand milliseconds, we saw the bounce rate um, jump uh, you know by by almost nine percent, which is really, really scary just in and of itself. and this was with no other changes to the pages. So so there's that, you know and that was and that was for mobile mobile traffic. Um, in terms of card size, I mean, we've seen that um, that uh, impact of slowness on mobile is pretty commensurate with impact of slowness on on um, desktop. So you know, we can kind of carry some of those numbers back and forth across the platforms. And um, we did uh, a study of uh, another one of our customers, autoanything.com, and uh, we looked at uh, the impact of, of, uh, of increasing page speed on cart size for them, and it increased their cart size by by you know, 2 or 3%, so that doesn't sound huge, but we actually think overall for companies that are doing, you know, like uh, hundreds of thousands of transactions per month, millions of transactions per year, that's a pretty significant number overall.
1: It definitely is, and I mean, I work for, I, I work in e-commerce as well, and if we see, you know, a, a 5% bump in conversion or a 5% dip, then that's that's a pretty huge deal, like either we did something awesome or we did something really, really wrong, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a number that we watch. So, I mean, like you had also mentioned, I mean, so you have cart size and cart abandonment and things like that on the e-commerce side. Um, and you'd mentioned, you know, bounce rate uh, as a, a possible other metric. Have you found that to be the, your kind of go-to metric for for other spaces than e-commerce or are there other things to look at as well?
2: Mm-hmm. So, um, well, for e-commerce and for, for media, like, so some of the metrics that we like to look at for, so for e-commerce, it's, um, it's. Anytime we can get metrics around revenue, that's great. I mean, that's that's kind of our go-to metric because it's the one you can easily. It's it's. I mean, money is sexy, so you can get people excited about you know uh, about gains, and you can get them really scared about <laughs> about losses um, if you if that's something that you need to do to to mobilize people. Um, and you know, conversion, same deal. Although there, there can be a little bit of education around you know just explaining to people what conversion rate is and why it why it matters. Um and uh, yeah, page views, time on site, um, uh, we find that when we make pages faster, people actually spend more time on a site. And it sort of sounds like, whoa, that's crazy. like wouldn't people just want to kind of come in and get okay. out? Uh, because they're doing what they want, but actually what they're doing is, it, and, and this sort of, you know, leads naturally to the topic of, of cart size, what they're doing when pages are fast is, is they're browsing more, you know, they they, they quickly filled up their cart, and they see that you've got, you know, uh, your recommendation engine is generated a bunch of, of, of other products they might be interested in, and just, you know, as as a shopper myself, this intuitively, you know, makes sense, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, I've already filled up my cart, and, you know, this is, this site's pretty fast, I'm just going to quickly, you know, check out these other items and oh by the way actually yeah that's really cool i'll add that to my cart and and you know kind of go about my day so you can see where where making your pages faster and um, can correlate to to having people spend more time on your site um, we also look at things like customer retention, so the likelihood that a customer uh, will return to your site. And we can track all this with cookies, etc. And in the, the the 12-week study that I mentioned earlier where we looked at the different cohorts of, of mobile traffic on an e-commerce site, we actually found that so the first six weeks were where we just tracked uh, the impact of the different uh, types of slowness on uh, the KPIs like bounce rate and, and and revenue. And the following six weeks, we just looked at, uh, re- at the customer return rate. And we actually found that uh, for the customers who experience the slower pages, took them much longer re- to return that that whole cohort of traffic it took six weeks for, for that cohort of traffic um, as a total to return to their formal levels of visiting the site mm-hmm. um, and so you know that's that's kind of a scary number right there so customer retention is obviously a big one as well
1: yeah that's interesting and I know on the the app side of things when when you piss off a customer they're they're likely to leave you a bad review or something but I guess the the analog over on the, the website is just them not coming back again.
2: Exactly, and well, and, and in terms of uh, you know that people leaving reviews, um, there was a, a, a customer service uh, a set of infographics. So around a report that came out a few months ago that I saw that said that you know for for every person who leaves you a negative review or sends you an angry email or calls you, there are anywhere between a hundred and a thousand who haven't. So you know those those squeaky wheels are representing a much 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 larger unhappy population.
1: Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun is an essential tool for every developer, helping you detect and diagnose your errors in real time so your team can fix bugs faster. Just a few lines of code is all it takes to get started, and you'll be amazed how quickly you start receiving reports from all of your apps. Why wait for frustrated users to notify you when they hit a bug, and then spend your time digging through log files? Raygun notifies you immediately and with all the information you need. Raygun keeps everyone informed, so whether you have one or 100 developers, you'll get everything you need to become an awesome development team. Start your free trial today at raygun.io, and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. So then, one of the things that you threw out earlier that I wanted to come back to was, you mean you mentioned the fold, which was, it used to be something that a pretty big deal was made of it, of, you know, like, you know, it's important how quickly and what renders above the fold, you know, meaning the, you know, with the cutoff at the bottom of the user's browser. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I haven't really heard that discussed as, as prominently as it once was maybe, you know, three, four or five years ago. Uh, do you find that to still be uh, a pretty important thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I know that above the fold, for whatever reason, has fallen out of disfavor as, as a term. And I'm not totally sure why, perhaps when this podcast comes out, somebody can enlighten me. Um, to me, it's a meaningful metric because I, you know, I care about the user experience. So, um, uh a, a metric that that we use at radware when we look at pages is something that we've called time to interact so it's sort of similar to above the fold um, we the great thing about using tools like WebPageTest tests is, is web page allows us to get right into the results for each individual site that we look at and it, le- it generates a, a timed film strip view of the of the page load and so what what that lets us do is it lets us see when the page's most meaningful content and for e-commerce that's really easy it's usually like the hero image or the, the you know the, the feature banner or carousel or whatever it is has loaded and that call to action uh, that's on that that feature image has has rendered as well so the page basically the, the feature content becomes interactive um, we can only measure that manually like literally by opening up each film strip view and 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 finding the, the the timing for when the page officially becomes interactive um, but to me, it, it's the most. It, it's it's not just still a, a meaningful metric. It's the most important metric in terms of user experience. Like if you don't know when users are actually able to to begin to engage in your page, then you know all the all the the numbers that you see on a on a rum spreadsheet. Um, you know, they're, they're they're useful as well, but they're not necessarily going to give you that, that same picture of, of, of the user experience.
0: So one of the things before we move too far away from e-commerce uh, that I wanted to ask was around security. Um, it's obviously especially important in e-commerce apps but and websites, um, but does this slow things down for pages and are developers doing anything special to get around this?
2: Um, yeah, security definitely. Affects performance uh, and necessarily. So, I mean, I would never tell anybody that they need to just get rid of you know whatever security measures (laughs) they're taking on their pages. Um, uh, For example, you know, uh, just one example is just. uh, the the number of round trips required to open uh, a secure connection between the client and server. One way you can find out how to know how much this problem affects your pages is run something like a web page test on the key secure pages of your site. You know, you look at the bars on the waterfall chart that, that show you, you know, where SSL negotiations happening and you just see how long those are. So that's a way to, to, to look at how your, your pages are performing there. Um, you know, ways to get around this are you know you reuse your TCP connections, um, offload SSL processing to other devices, and and a big one is just making sure you're not using SSL content on pages that don't need it. So you might you might be accidentally, and this is very really common in cases where people are kind of cutting and pasting um, SSL content like for third party tags. Um, onto all of their pages and they're not differentiated between the secure pages and the non-secure pages. Well, what's the point of putting, of putting the secure version of a tag on a non-secure page? Um, save the secure versions for the pages that require security. And so it requires a little bit more futzing around and making sure that you're, you're putting the right tags on the right pages. But it actually can you know, can make a difference if you're using you know, mo- like monitoring products like like AlertSite or VeriSign um, to, to make sure you, you, you've got the right ones. Um, something that I also see as well, kind of flipping the problem around, is um, the number of sites that um, on their secure pages use non-secure third-party content. So it's not necessarily a performance problem exactly. It's more—it's more like you're you're basically exposing your your secure page to to holes in the page. So it really, I mean, if you're if you're if you're using SSL content on your pages, it's it it. Is so important a, for a number of reasons to make sure you're using the right tags on the right pages.
1: Yeah, and again, being in the the e-commerce space, we're we're always very very careful about what we're willing to to include on any of our uh, you know secure commerce-related pages, which actually kind of leads into to another question I had, which is, I mean, there are so many pages out there using third-party libraries, things like. Uh, as innocent sounding as like Google Analytics or Facebook or Twitter or things like that. I mean, have you found that these hurt performance much?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I would say that it's, I mean, it's really all over the map. Um, and I talk a lot about third party performance, Um uh, you just at conferences, and I, I did a webcast about this with um, with O'Reilly a while back. Um, and I would say the biggest problem is just that people don't have a lot of visibility into the third parties. And people don't necessarily, especially and developers, I don't think have as much control as they would like to have. And I'm probably preaching to the choir here over what third-party scripts get added to the page. So it's it's kind of a wild west situation where, um, you know, in an ideal world, if you're a developer, you want you know the scripts to, you want, you you want to know what scripts you're loading. You want to make sure that you've got some kind of Performance related SLA with a third party provider. You want to you know uh, ensure that they're you know the scripts are loading asynchron- asynchronously if uh, if if that's possible, etc. And um, then you've got sort of a whole other contingent like you know marketing and sales departments who just kind of want to add scripts you know because they're they're great widgets that you know promise you know conversion gains or they you know or or, or really awesome analytics or something like that. Um, so it's it's the loss of control is is a really big issue. Um, one of the, the one of tool that I talk about a lot is um, a really great tool. You're probably already familiar with it, uh, called Ghostery, and it's a it's a kind of a just a little widget that's an, an extension for Chrome. Um, that lets you have visibility really into actually any page that you, you visit. It just sits up in the right hand corner of your toolbar and anytime you visit a page it tells you, um, it, it, it tells you all the third-party scripts that are running on that page and if you click on it you actually can get deeper insight into, into all those scripts and what they're about and it's, it's just a really really great tool for having visibility and it's been really eye-opening for me. I installed it several months ago and um, you know just seeing pages that have hundred or more, you know, third parties on them and, you know, and, and just realizing just sort of how out of control the, the, that situation has become. The cool thing about Ghostry as well is um, there's an enterprise version um, that if you install it um, on, uh, it gives you extra visibility into your own site and you can actually see how those scripts then, um, you know, uh, launch other scripts. So you can kind of see like third parties, fourth parties, fifth parties, and you, these great kind of branching uh, uh, diagrams that really kind of visualize like you know what what what's happening on your page and all the calls that are being made from your page.
0: We've talked uh, a lot so far about just performance in mobile in in general. Um, Is there any research being done in performance on the different platforms in mobile? So iOS versus Android comes to mind, for instance.
2: Um, So one one thing that comes to mind, just because we just released this, is our our mobile State of the Union, where we actually looked at the performance of uh, mobile pages, uh, or sorry, we looked at the performance of pages on a variety of devices. So one thing that's top of mind is um, uh, the mobile State of the Union research that we did at Radware recently. Um, where we looked at the performance of those top one hundred e-commerce pages on a variety of smartphones and a variety of tablets, and what was really interesting was and I'm not going to call out any one particular tablet as being as being better or worse than the other. Was that we? <laughs> you can do <laughs> it. That it's we, fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we basically, I mean, really, we just found that there's there's a, a massive range in performance. So, you know, if we looked at the median, you know, load times across devices. You know, the fact fastest was the Galaxy Note was 5.7 seconds, and the slowest was the iPhone 4, not surprising there, sorry, the 4S with 15 seconds. So site owners should really be aware that there's this, and, they, I, you know, and I, I'm just going to come out and say I have an iPhone 4S, I like it because it, it actually gives me this visibility into how pages perform at that end of the spectrum. Um, and a lot of people are still using iphone 4s so site owners just need to be aware that this is the spectrum that they're talking about it ranging from like you know around five seconds to 15 seconds in terms of how performant their pages are on on a variety of mobile devices we found a lot of really interesting things in terms of device fragmentation and then site fragmentation and performance fragmentation for tablets versus smartphones so um one thing that was really eye-opening for me was when I was looking into this um, and trying to get a little more background into into just the nature of fragmentation, just the current landscape, um, there's a really great uh, visualization that Open Signal did um, showing that uh, there's been like 60% fragmentation in just one year for them, for looking at people who download their app and they get, you know, like, hundreds of thousands, possibly even more downloads per year. And uh, just in Android devices alone, there are almost 19,000 different devices. <laughs> <So that's>, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I didn't even know there were 19,000 different devices. I'm just gonna put my hand up and say, I had no idea that was, I, you know, I was like, did they add a couple of zeros here? Like what, where is this, how is this even possible? So that staggering right there. And it just, when I saw that graphic and read that study, I just thought like I would hate to be a mobile developer. Anybody who has to develop for mobile, like wow. And it's you know, I can't see this getting better. You know, this is this is just the, 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 the state of the internet right now, the state of the mobile internet.
1: We're talking about performance as kind of a general term here, but I'd be curious to know, like, are, are there specific um, spots of performance that you're you're seeing that uh, different devices are, are wildly different on? Like, is it page render time, or is it you know DOM manipulation and things like that, or is it just um, you know time to start loading until it's loaded?
2: Yeah, I mean that's 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 the, the that's the metric that I focus on. You know, start render, um, document complete, things like that. So um, yeah, um, so yeah. I would I would say yes. Um, one thing that I just wanted to mention that we found that was really interesting in terms of just site owners serving different types of experience to different devices was that it was totally across the map in terms of which tablet got the M dot page or the T the, the dot page, you know, the tablet optimized page or the full site. So we found that for the, like the iPad, you know, about 86 to 89 of, 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 uh, percent of site owners were serving the full site page to the iPads. So that's great. Like you know, I've had users expect a full site experience. So you know, wonderful. Um, what we found was really concerning was if we looked at Android tablets, it was more like uh, 63, 65 percent of of those uh, devices or sorry, those sites were serving the full site to um, to Android tablets, and oh, up to thirty uh, percent of of the sites were still serving the MDOT page. The tablet. So, if you've ever looked at what a typical M dot page looks like on your tablet, it looks ridiculous. You know, every time <laughs> I see it, it's, it just sort of jumps off the, the the screen at me whenever I see one. So, you know, it, you know, and there's there's workarounds for this, just in terms of like you know, um, um, as a developer, ensuring that you recognize the device that somebody's coming on and and make sure that you're serving them, the, you know, the the, the correct experience.
1: And then I mean to one more point on the the performance thing. Um, there was actually an article, or I think it was, it came out yesterday or so. It was um, someone uh, showing their experience with the the Ember JS framework, where they noted that the performance times were were pretty great on iOS devices, but they were seeing that they were like three to t- three to five times slower on Android devices, which was pretty concerning. And I mean, like on the on the desktop development side of things, you know, there's there's pretty much like any any noun.js is some new like hot framework that adds a whole bunch of overhead to your site and a whole bunch of like really rich development features. But I can imagine that these are are often pretty heavy to put into to mobile mobile websites. I mean, have you found that um, the frameworks like that tend to to drag things down on the mobile side?
2: That's a really good question. At uh, velocity in Santa Clara, um... In 2013, I sat in a really great session from uh, Nicholas Zakis uh, titled Enough with the JavaScript Already. And if <laughs> you don't know Nicholas Zakis, you should know that he is uh, you know, kind of a foremost expert on JavaScript and JavaScript performance. And so this was a really great session for me. I think it was what, the last session of, uh, of the conference, and it was definitely worth sticking around for because it was, you know, it's kind of turned on its heels a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things that people believe, which was, you know, if you can do it with JavaScript, to do it with JavaScript, because it's exciting and it lets you do things in kind of a, a, a highly functional way, that sort of thing. But, you know, and he said this even, not necessarily just with the focus on mobile performance, but obviously with mobile, you know, it, it sort of amplifies this as, as an issue. And if you, if you look it up, uh, the, the title of the session is Enough with the JavaScript Already, it's on SlideShare. Uh, I think it should be like required viewing for developers because it really um, uh, visualizes how uh, so much development that used to be kind of fall underneath the, uh, the, the domains of other of other uh, approaches has slowly migrated over time to let's do it with JavaScript, let's do this with JavaScript, let's do that with JavaScript, and just kind of saying you know if 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 we care about performance and to answer your question if we care about performance on mobile we really need to maybe start pulling some of those things out from underneath the JavaScript you know sub umbrella and push it back into those into those other those other those other areas.
0: So with all of the different JavaScript frameworks out there, with all the different design approaches, you know, responsive or MDOT sites, are there any particular UI or, or like user interface or user experience patterns that seem to be clear winners uh, in the mobile space? Or maybe any that are clear losers, like responsive versus an MDOT site, or mm-hmm. uh, any particular user interface frameworks or designs?
2: I would, I mean, my, my my preference is always, if you're going to choose uh, an approach moving forward, is responsive um, because, you, you know, because of, of consistency of user experience. And also just, you know, as somebody who has worked behind the scenes, just, you know, maintaining content, um, you know, just maintaining content on one site is just like necessarily much easier than trying to maintain content on a on a variety of different sites. So I think there's a lot of compelling reasons uh, why why responsive is ultimately just a more sustainable solution than than you know forking your your site in multiple different directions. I mean it, it, the other the other reason to go with responsive is. Um, Uh, You know, looking at at the direction that tablet and smartphones uh, designs are going, there was the new um, Microsoft smartphone, I don't even know what to call it, is a smartphone tablet, but it has a square screen. it's it's the first time I, you know, I've been exposed to a square screen. I've only seen it online. I've not kind of seen one out in the wild. But if we're seeing device manufacturers sort of experimenting with different types of formats, and as we talked about earlier, you know, fragmentation has absolutely exploded, then, you know, there's really only so many optimized sites any one of us really wants to make. I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not, not not a developer, but if I were a developer, I would rather just be focusing on you know, just making one site that that, that it does it, it sort in its own way one size fits all, and kind of using the. Evolving sets of 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 rules that people are developing around responsive design to to fix problems like you know making sure that you're not just downloading one massive image across all and and expecting the browser to scale it and things like that. Um, So I, I feel like. Um, from what I see in the responsive community, there are a lot of really smart people who are trying to solve the problems of responsive design that uh, that, are, that that are performance related. And for that reason, I just sort of see that as as the path forward. Something that that people might not be aware of is that uh, that mobile pages are getting bigger. So we're just talking about looking measuring the pages that are served to mobile devices. A lot of people have heard of the HTTP archive, but not a lot of people have heard of the mobile version, um, which measures uh, a massive list of URLs uh, using smartphones, and meaning that if the URL redirects to a mobile site, the archive tests the, the mobile site. And if you look at the top 1,000 URLs, uh, what's really interesting is um, is is looking at this the the page growth over just the past two and a half years, three years, uh, from 2011. We see that the the median page or sorry the average page being served to mobile devices is now 50% larger or 56 percent larger than it was in 2011 sorry I'm cheating by reading this off my screen <laughs> <laughs> so in, and to put this into kind of numbers of people who wrap their heads around in 2011 the average page served to a mobile device was 475 kilobytes which isn't terrible but it's not great when we think about it you know in terms of, of, of the performance constraints of the the devices and today the the average page is 740 kilobytes, so that's a—it's you know—it's not—it's uh, uh, not as scary sounding as you know one megabyte or more, but you know a 56 percent increase is still a pretty major increase. Um, and when you put that in the context of your of your data plan, and as somebody who travels a lot and outside of my native country, you know I always put things in the context of my data plan. That's pretty significant. Um, and you know, just bear in mind that images comprise you know about 60% of that of that payload that's pretty significant there as well so you know developers need to bear in mind that you know images are something to look at first
1: So then I mean this is a, a whole lot of like awesome content to, to digest for our listeners but I'd love to kind of end on um, maybe like a, a practical note if we could so I mean for for a developer listening to this um, and wanting to, to start approaching, maybe start analyzing their sites to, to check for performance problems or, or to start maybe tackling like low-hanging fruit. Like, What advice would you have um, for a developer just kind of getting started in the performance space there?
2: So I think if anybody who is, who's getting involved with performance um, with a mobile focus in mind, I would really want them to remember a few things, which are that... Um, the user experience is probably almost always worse than you think it is. Okay. Um, we 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 tend to look at our own sites through rose-colored glasses and at other people's sites through dirt-colored glasses. So um, and everyone is guilty of this. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, that responsive design fixes a lot of problems, but introduces new ones that can be mitigated, but you really need to, 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 to think about performance first when you're implementing responsive. Um, that, uh, that people who are coming to your mobile pages might not be shopping. And you might look at your Google Analytics or whatever analytics you use and say that, you know, well, well, people aren't converting on our mobile site. That's irrelevant. They're coming to your mobile site as part of a multi-platform uh, uh, transaction experience. And uh, for that reason alone, you need to worry about the performance of your site on mobile. Oh, and the final one is that uh, the techniques that work for desktop don't necessarily work for mobile and they don't necessarily work as well as they, as if they do work on mobile, they don't necessarily work as well on mobile as they do on desktop. So really, I mean, to me, fixing performance on mobile, it's like having constantly moving targets but the great thing, the positive takeaway is that there's a constantly evolving set of best practices, you know, within, you know, I, I don't know if they'll ever be as totally entrenched as the ones for desktop are, but I would say, you know, definitely there's a, there's a, a growing body of best practices that are out there for, to, to help people.
1: Great. And I think that's a, a perfect note to, to close out on, but thanks so much, Tammy, for joining us.
2: Thank you. And thanks. Uh, thanks for everyone for, for listening. Thanks.
1: And thanks everyone for listening too, and we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.